0: Welcome everyone, you are listening to the LifePoint Christian Church Podcast. Let's get started. Let me ask you a question. If you had a friend who was open and came to you and actually said this, was a, so a friend who wasn't a Christian, and they said, I'm open to you trying to convince me of why it is I should become a Christian. What would you say to them? How would you respond to that? What would you say? What would you not say? And let me ask you this. What would you start off with saying to them? I would suggest to you that you would start off telling them about the event that we are celebrating today. That you would start with the resurrection of Jesus In fact, I tell you this, I wouldn't even start with the Bible itself. And this is important for us to know. There were tens of thousands of people that believed Jesus rose from the dead long before there was a Bible. When Jesus rose from the dead... People in the vicinity of Jerusalem did exactly what you would have done if someone had died, then you saw them buried, and then a few days later you sat on a beach having breakfast with them. That's what happened to the disciples. And so what did they do? They turned to social media, no, really, they turned to social media. Now, first century social media wasn't as sophisticated as ours is today. In fact, for them, social media was talking all about it all the time and even at times writing it down. So, 2,000 years later, here we are, and we can have the confidence today's Easter. We can have the confidence that Jesus rose from the dead because of the social media of that time, because of men who were eyewitnesses of a risen Jesus. Men like Matthew, uh, the Gospel of Matthew, men like John, the Gospel of John, who they saw and then they wrote about it. Or people like Mark, who wrote down Peter's words, and Peter was one who was there and who saw it. Or Luke. Someone who who researched and spoke to witnesses and did everything he could to get eyewitness accounts so that he, what he said, is he could write an orderly account of the events. It was clear from all of their writings, they saw a dead Jesus come back to life. They saw someone who was dead who was now alive. He was resurrected. And perhaps the most convincing person of all is James, now, James was Jesus' half-brother. And, and I've asked you this before, but the question is, what would it take for, your, for you, for your brother to convince you that he was the Messiah? I mean, really, think about that for a second. James didn't follow Jesus when, when Jesus was alive. I mean, come on, you're not going to follow your brother around who has this crazy Messiah complex, you know, who thinks he's the Savior of the world. I mean, come on, give me a break, Jesus, or really, your Savior, come on now. But what happened? Jesus rose from the dead. It took Jesus raising from the dead and coming back to life that convinced James that his brother Jesus was indeed the Savior of the world. To me, his story is a hugely compelling reason to believe in Jesus but then there's actually one more person that gives us reason to believe in Jesus, and that's Lucius Dominus um, Ahanobarbus. I probably butchered that name. You actually know who that is. No, you really do. You know him by the name Nero, right? Wherever you're sitting right now, raise your hand if you've heard of Nero. Come on, raise your hand. I, I everybody. Thank you, everybody in the room. You've heard of Nero. Now, You probably don't know any laws that Nero passed. You probably don't know about any wars that he won, but I'll bet you know two things about Nero, or at least one of them. The first thing that people know about Nero is that he burned down the city of Rome. And the second thing that a lot of people know about Nero is he burned down the city of Rome, and who did he blame? He blamed who? He blamed Christians, right? Which resulted in a massive persecution of Christians. So if I had a chance to convince someone to become a Christian, I would ask them this important question. Do you know why Nero could persecute Christians in Rome 30 years after the resurrection? Because that's about when it took place. This is very important for you to think about, and I want you to track with me for a moment. Many scholars have studied how long does it take for something to become a legend or a fable or a myth. And study upon study upon study have concluded that it takes about 60 to 80, maybe sometimes 100 years for something that happened to then get exaggerated to the point that the facts are no longer the reality, but it's more the exaggeration that has taken over and it's become a myth or a fable. Now, why does it take about 60, 80, 100 years for something that was facts that get exaggerated to become a myth or a fable? Well, by that time, all the eyewitnesses of whatever the original facts were, all the eyewitnesses have what? They've died, right? That they're dead. Christian author and, and apologist and professor Dr. Norman Geisler used to tell his students about 40 years ago, he used to tell them that, here's what he'd say, in the not too distant future, groups would begin to circulate the story that the Holocaust was a fabrication. Now, that was absurd to think that that would be the case 40 years ago. I mean, you could visit the concentration camps. There are plenty of eyewitnesses who are still alive. There's plenty of survivors who are still alive. And yet recently, there are groups of people in our world today who are claiming that the Jewish Holocaust was a fabrication, a myth. It's crazy to think that in the not too distant future, there will be many, many, many people who think that the Jewish Holocaust didn't exist. So, if you look at the timeline, it's virtually impossible to conclude that there had been enough time for a myth to have grown to the point where people would believe in a resurrection, especially in Rome, which was so far from Jerusalem. See, it had only been 30 years. There were far too many eyewitnesses to the event that were still alive. So Nero blaming Christians for the burning of Rome in many ways is a great case for the fact of the resurrection. Now, as interesting as that might be to some of you, I think it's a, and I think it is a compelling place to start if you're trying to convince somebody about Jesus and the resurrection, that isn't the primary reason, the facts of the resurrection. That's not the primary reason Christians gather all over the world this weekend They don't gather just to celebrate the facts of the resurrection. We also celebrate on this special weekend the implications of the resurrection. When we take seriously the death of Jesus on our behalf and his resurrection, you know what it does? It creates the context for our lives. When we take the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus seriously creates the context for our lives. And that impacts every single element, every single facet of our lives. It impacts the way that we spend our time. It impacts who we spend our time with. It impacts how we entertain ourselves. It impacts how we spend our money. It impacts how we mourn. It impacts how we love. And on Easter morning. There was this exchange between Jesus and one of his followers that was so precious, so powerful, so tearful, so emotional that I think it captures the energy and the implications of what it means for someone who lives in this life to confidently believe that Jesus rose from the dead. But first, before we get to the story, let me give you a little context. We've talked about this before, but first century Jews were waiting for their Savior to save them, to rescue them, their Messiah, to rescue them from the Roman oppressors and to set up his kingdom that would far exceed the glory and the grandeur of King David and King Solomon. And though wannabe saviors popped up on the scene from time to time in that, you know, first century B.C. and first century A.D., their movements always fizzled out. But in that period of time, Jesus of Nazareth stepped on the scene, and the world has never been the same. Jesus taught with extraordinary authority. Jesus made the Romans nervous, and he made the religious leaders of Israel jealous and angry. Eventually, he was betrayed by a friend, condemned by the temple leaders, and crucified by the empire. Once you're crucified, normally a body would be taken down off the cross and it would be taken down to the valley of Gehenna where it was burned or left to rot. But from time to time, people would pay the governor to get the body. So there were two wealthy men who were secret followers of Jesus, Joseph of Arimathea and also Nicodemus. They went to Pilate, they probably asked, they probably offered money to get Jesus' body. And because the Sabbath was about to begin, they had to hastily prepare his body for burial. And then they put him in a tomb. They sealed the tomb. And then they left. And on that day, on that day that Jesus was crucified, everybody unfollowed Jesus. That was it. The movement was over. I know this. You would have done the same thing. I know I would have. After all, Jesus claimed a lot. He claimed a lot about himself. He claimed that he was the resurrection and the life. He claimed that he was the son of God and the son of man. And he referred to himself and he inferred himself to be the Messiah. But if you claim to be the life, the resurrection, if you claim to be the life and you're dead, how can you be a savior? If you're the Son of God, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Savior, you don't die. You don't get crucified. When Jesus was crucified, the whole movement, it was officially over. In fact, every single narrative uh, and every single person that has anything to do with the story of Jesus, they all admit it. None of us believe that, you know, he would come back to life None of us believed we would ever see him again. None of us ever expected a resurrection. And that's where we pick up our story today. That's where we see this tender moment, and it's where we find, I believe, ourselves in the story, and it gives us the confidence that we follow and serve a savior who is alive. So Let's pick up the story. We're going to look at John chapter 20. John chapter 20. You can go on you know, your phones of the YouVersion Bible app or go to your physical Bibles. We're going to start in verse 1. And it says this Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb. Now, Mary was a woman that Jesus had healed. And as a result, she became a follower of Jesus. She was grateful for this Messiah, and she was hopeful that Jesus was indeed the long-awaited Savior. But the crucifixion ruined it all, it changed it all. All that hope that she was hoping and had, that her hope was gone. So early Sunday morning, even though her heart was broken, and even though she had lost hope, she still was grateful for the time she did have with Jesus. And, And so she goes to the tomb, Hoping someone will be there to help her roll the stone away from the entrance so that she could go in and give Jesus a proper burial, that she could properly embalm and prepare his body for, you know, for for the future, so to speak. Now, here's the most important part of this story. She expected to show up and see a body. She expected to find a body. John tells us, though, when she got there, John chapter 20, verse 1, she saw that the stone had already been removed from the entrance. Now, did she assume right now, like you and I, we know the story 2,000 years ago, did she assume that Jesus was alive and risen from the dead? No. She assumed that somebody had stolen the body. It's, it's she expected that someone had stolen the body. Why? No one would have ever thought of a resurrection, no one. John chapter 20, verse 2, it says, so she came running. So she went back into the city, because uh, um, she was outside the city, went back into the city to the other side of the city where the, the upper room was, where the disciples were, and, and she came back, came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said. Now I want you to notice what Mary doesn't say. She doesn't say Jesus is alive, he's risen, he's risen indeed. She doesn't say, he doesn't say anything like that. She said, notice, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. you got to understand, that's a perfectly a good assumption on her part. You see, we've discovered in the story of Jesus, he had powerful enemies. And if they had the power to pay people to lie and have Jesus imprisoned and then beaten and then crucified to his death, all within like a day. If they had that kind of power, of course they had the power to remove his dead body and take it somewhere else. But Peter and John, they had to see this for themselves. And so they ran to where Jesus was buried to look into the tomb. And when they looked in, they noticed nobody was there. Again, the who did didn't believe that he was risen that he was alive, that he's risen indeed, and that wasn't the case. That wasn't even an option for them to comprehend. Verse 10, John chapter 20, it says, then the disciples went back to where they were saying. They said, there was nothing here for us. Meanwhile, Mary Magdalene, she makes her way back down, or back over to the tomb, and she stays there. In John chapter 20, verse 11, it says, Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. She was literally weeping. I want you to imagine her emotion for a moment. She's thinking, here was the man who changed my life. He touched people that no one else would touch. He spent time with people that no one else would spend time with. But then he was crucified. And man, they don't even have the respect to leave his body alone. What do I do? Where do I go? Where do I turn to? God, you didn't come through for us. We thought you would. It didn't work out, God. I don't know who to trust anymore. By the way, I think we all eventually get to that point in our lives. Maybe some of you are there right now when it comes to your relationship with God or with life. And you have found yourself or find yourself saying right now, God, what's happened? You didn't come through for me. God, I don't know who to trust. I don't know if I can trust you. And then this is really powerful. John chapter 20, verse 11, as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white. Now, she doesn't know right now that they're angels seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and one at the other foot. Now, these angels ask Mary a question that resolves a century old debate. And the debate is this Are angels men or women? Are angels male or female? Notice John chapter 20, verse 13. They ask her, Woman, why are you crying? You see, clearly the angels are men because only a man would ask a woman, why are you crying? All right, well, some lousy uh, resurrection humor there, right? Can, come on, someone laugh. Somebody in the room, that, that had to be a little bit funny, right? All right, anyway, back, back to it. They ask, woman, why are you crying? And this is just like gut-wrenching drama. And she says they have taken. Again, nobody thinks Jesus would rise from the dead. They have taken my Lord, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. And then she hears some stirring behind her. John chapter 20, verse 14. At this, and this is so powerful, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize it was Jesus. We don't know why she didn't realize it was Jesus, could have been the lighting. It could have been the distance. He looked different. We don't know. Maybe he was wearing a COVID mask at the time, right? But she doesn't recognize him. Now, I want you to think into the story with me a little bit. I'm thinking, this is Jesus behind her. He doesn't, she doesn't recognize him. I'm thinking Jesus gets this huge grin on his face He probably looks at the two angels in the tomb and, you know, winks at them here because he knows she's literally moments away from her life changing forever. And I'm sure he's having to hold back the the emotion as he says in verse 15, he says to her, who is it that you're looking for? Now, I'm picturing as this story's unfolding, I'm picturing all the angels in heaven, they're looking down and they're watching this moment. Uh, Randy Alcorn talks about this, like this portal that you can, you know, the angels are watching what's going on on this side of heaven. And and, and so I'm picturing all these angels and they're all smiling and they're all looking at each other going, here it comes, here it comes. Are we ready? Here we go. Everything's gonna start off, here we go. And John tells us something that I think is hilarious. In fact, I can picture Mary telling the story the rest of her life. See, people would come up to Mary and ask ask her, Mary, Mary, tell us about the story of the empty tomb and tell us all about it, Mary. Come on, tell us, Mary. And I'll bet she never grew tired of sharing the story. And she would say this. She would say, listen, you guys aren't going to believe it. But I'm staring into the tomb and there's this guy behind me talking and I was, look at verse 15, I was thinking the dude behind me, what does it say, was the gardener. And every time she tells that story, I picture everybody just kind of busting up laughing. You thought the Savior, the Messiah, he was the gardener? How'd you do that? How'd How'd that happen? Again, why did she think Jesus was a gardener? Well, because again, nobody expected a resurrection. And when, even when they were looking into that empty tomb, no one assumed Jesus was alive. They assumed he was, of course, still dead. John chapter 20, verse 15, she said, Sir, if you have carried him away, in other words, if you know where he is, would you tell me where you have put him, and I will go get him. Remember, she wants to embalm him properly. And I love this next part. Again, picture with me. I picture the angels in heaven. They're all around and they're just busting up right now and they're leaning into each other and they're like, watch, here it comes. Here it comes. And they're wondering, what's Jesus gonna do next? She doesn't know it's him yet. Hey, everybody, Michael, Gabriel, hey, here it comes. She doesn't know yet. And I picture them just kind of, here comes Jesus. What's gonna happen? And in verse 16, Jesus said to her, Mary, And then I picture all the angels, you know, kind of just doing this and start laughing and busting up. And and they're watching Mary's reaction because when she hears her name, when she hears that voice, all of a sudden, it all clicked. And it was that moment where everything changed for eternity. Verse 16, she turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher, teacher. And I imagine when that moment happened, everybody in heaven, the applause of heaven just broke forth. Yes, this is it. Here we go. Let's begin. Here goes the church. Here goes the future age. This is the beginning of the rest of eternity. Then, of course, Mary runs to Jesus. This is no longer Friday's disappointment. The impossible didn't stop God. Jesus is alive. And then Jesus says something, and we don't understand why he said this. But he said in verse 17, John chapter 20, Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. In other words, Mary, go back to the city, and this time you're not going to tell them that you don't know where the body is. This time, you have a completely different message. Let them know, Mary. Let them know. Let them know. John chapter 20, verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. I have seen the Lord. And what's their reaction? Well, of course, their reaction is, oh, good, good, good. You found the body. Okay, good. Now we can, you know, do a proper burial. No, 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 no. I've seen him alive. What are you talking about, Mary. But no, no, I have seen Jesus. Jesus is alive. Now, I need to let you know there's one particular aspect of the story that's actually a big deal. It's a huge deal. Back then in the first century, women were second class citizens, they had no credibility or, or at all zero. In fact, they couldn't testify in court. So, think about this if you were trying to fabricate a story that you wanted people to believe, you're trying to fabricate a resurrection story. You would never have a woman be the witness to anything because no one would trust her testimony. No one would take her seriously. So why in the world would all the Gospels tell us that it was a woman who saw Jesus first? Why would they do that? Simple, because that's what actually happened. She said, I've seen the Lord God did come through. Jesus can be trusted. He is who he said he was. We can continue to trust him. We can continue to follow him and serve him. And although nothing in her circumstances had changed, the reality is everything had changed. The rest of her life had changed. Why? Because Jesus was alive. It's a new beginning. For her. And my friends, wherever you are, wherever you're watching this, listening to this, you need to know that it's a new beginning for you as well. It changes everything for you as well. The resurrection of Jesus, it's the context for all of your decisions. It's the context for your entire life. It's the context for all of your relationships. The resurrection of Jesus is the context for what you do with your time. It's the context for for how you dream or the way that you plan or the way that you treat others. Think about this for a minute. Because of the resurrection, you can do quite a few things, can be true. For example, you can pray prayers and know that God hears them. And the reason you can believe that is true is not just because Jesus said, hey, God hears you and he wants you to pray and he wants you to ask for anything. That's true, but it's not just because of that. The primary reason you believe it's true is because Jesus rose from the dead. Therefore, we can trust everything that Jesus said. Does that make sense? And also, because of the resurrection, you can live this life knowing that there's life Beyond the grave. Because that's what Jesus taught us. That's what Jesus said about heaven. It was Jesus who said to his disciples, I am going to prepare a place for you. And where I am going, I will eventually bring you to me. Which means a couple things. You know what it means? It means that every time you attend the funeral of a believer, or in Jesus Christ, every time you perhaps bury a loved one, who was a Jesus follower, who was a Christian, that means that there's hope, that you'll see them again. Why? Because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus conquered death, so we can trust what he said to be true. And here's what else the resurrection means. It means that your sacrifice that you make for your Savior, your faithfulness to your Savior, Your sacrifice and your faithfulness, they both count. Because what Jesus taught us is that what you do here on earth and how you live and how you act, that matters in eternity. That God keeps track of your faithfulness in this life, especially when it costs you something. And that God will reward you in heaven accordingly. See, I think that we can all relate to Mary we can all relate to her story leading up to the moment when she, it was revealed to her that who she was talking to, that it was a resurrected Jesus. Like her, we all know what it's like. We know what it's like to, to live in sorrow or to live with a sense of hopelessness, to live with disappointment. All those emotions and feelings she had as she was heading to the tomb. But all of that changed for Mary when she embraced a risen Savior, her Savior. You see, Mary had new context for her life. It's a new beginning. She had new context for an abundant life, an abundant life in Jesus Christ, an abundant life that is only found through a relationship with a resurrected Jesus. You see, the resurrection of Jesus proves He is exactly who he claimed to be, that he is the savior, that he is the Lord. But here's my question for you. Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? I wanna ask you a question. Do you know what will happen to you when you die? Do you know where you will go? Do you have the confidence to know that when you die, that you will go to heaven, that you will be with Jesus in a place that he has prepared? Maybe some of you don't have that confidence. Maybe some of you are hoping. Well, I want to let you know you can have that confidence. You can give your life to Jesus right now. You can have your sins forgiven. You can have the hope of eternity. Why? Why? Because there is a Savior who died for your sins so that you would have the potential to live. But if he stayed in the tomb, then he was just another wannabe Savior. But that's not Jesus. He didn't stay in the tomb. He resurrected. He is alive. And so you can trust everything he said. And he will forgive you of your sins. And he will give you the hope of heaven. He will give you eternity. Do you want that? And give your life to Jesus right now. I want to give you that chance to do that. Today, right now, Jesus is alive, He is risen, and He wants to be your Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Almighty God, we come before you right now, grateful for this incredible plan that you had, that you knew that there could be no sacrifice on this earth that would suffice to cover our sins, that you had to send your one and only Son, the perfect Lamb of God, to be the perfect sacrifice so that we could live, so that we could have our sins forgiven. God, right now we're going to come before you. and God, I pray you draw people to yourself that today is the day of salvation for some for the very first time. And if you want to know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray these words with me right now. Pray something like this. Say, Jesus, thank you. Thank you for loving me so much that you would choose to die so that I could live. As best as I know how right now, I surrender my life to you. I give my life to you. I welcome you into my life to be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me of my sins and give me the hope of heaven. My life is yours because you died for me. I will live for you. Thank you for saving me. Jesus, you've heard those prayers, those cries, and we rejoice with the angels in heaven over even one who has been saved, who has given their life to you. God, for the rest of us who know you as Lord and Savior, I pray today is another incredible reminder that the reason we can believe, the reason we can be confident that what we believe is true because we serve a Savior who is alive. We love you, Jesus. Our lives are yours. We surrender to you once again. In your name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. You can learn more about us by visiting us online at lifepoint.org. If you are ever in the Sacramento area, we would love to see you in person. Events and service times can be found on our website. Thank you for listening, and we hope you join us for our next episode.